All right. Well, I guess we should dig into this, huh? Dig into the synth under pressure. Yep. Yeah, I guess so. All right. I actually did take a couple pages of notes today, so I do have. Good. I got two pages, so okay. I don't. I'm exhausted after that Browns game, so we'll see how (laughs) this. Dad Dad called me and asked me if I was watching. I'm like, no. He told me that was exhausting. Holy crap! It was a really good, really good game. He likes the Chargers, but just he likes high scoring games. You know, Um, it was that. All right. All right. Well, under pressure. Greetings! This is David DePay from Burgess Jail, and you are listening to Heavy Metal Horror! Stay tuned for more metal and horror! Yow! I am Montag, Master of Illusion. What goes up must come down, but not always. Hey, this is Chop Top, and this could be a heavy crush. <laughs> and dreadful. And you <laughs> are listening to Heavy, heavy Metal, metal. Horror. Horror. Oh, kitties. Oof. Welcome back. We are doing our third episode of Deep Dive into Rush. Tonight, we are getting into the synth-heavy years, 1982 to what, 80, 89, I think, is that where we're going? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that sounds about right. right. Yeah, my, yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I think, think so, that's right. The, yeah, yeah. We, are, we are covering albums Signals, Grace Under Pressure, Power Windows, Hold Your Fire, and A Show of Hands. Ah, um. And uh, I will just kind of give my my overview of uh, signals before we kind of get into it. Maybe we can just kind of go around and, and give our overview. But yeah, sure. uh, this heavy synths and tight radio-friendly songs punctuate this follow-up to moving pictures. Peart's lyrics move from fantasy to both personal and global. While the grandeur of their experimental albums is fading in the recent distance, Rush's new commercial prog direction never lets us forget that they're consummate crafters of great songs. Yes. There. There's that was my way too professional. What there's my trench. Somebody to write that? <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm getting paid $55 an hour to write. <laughs> That's the going rate for Way writing. Way too sterile. <laughs> like, so there's my overview. What, what do you guys, you have an overview of something less sterile? <laughs> so, yeah, for me, I, I thought this was, uh, if we're talking, are we just talking signals or this whole era? No, the whole era. I was just kind of giving okay. a, a, a trenchant overview of the era. <sighs> yeah, like I don't really, I, I don't, I, I didn't write up a, 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 a thespian uh <laughs> breakdown of the <laughs> of the whole era Come on man dreadful do your job but yeah this is the new wave of you know canadian prog metal i guess you could call it this the yeah, the new wave era uh a very i would say uh divisive era for rush mm-hmm. either you love it or hate it it seems to me you know as i was researching this and digging into people's comments and reactions yeah it's kind of a love hate era for rush i think in a lot of ways because it's very different it's a mm-hmm. it's, yeah yes. yeah definitely I, I i thought i thought guys it was very um it was a, a poppy era for rush it was uh, poppy a lot there's a lot of uh especially signals but there and we'll get into that but a lot of uh almost reggae kind of influence there's that mm-hmm. stop start stop kind of you know guitar thing by license which yeah, was a lot totally of upbeat different stuff. compared yeah yeah, right. yeah. and um in a sense, you know, I think as time went on, they got more control over it, you know, and we'll get into that. I think there's a couple albums that are very synth heavy as opposed to some of the later era material. I think yeah. they, they became more balanced with it. But uh, yeah, they, the, the early stuff is just very like it's all synth. It's all synth all the time you know it was just that's mm-hmm. what it was for me so yeah. but a lot of memorable songs and we will definitely get to uh we'll definitely get to them all right thank you well 
let's get into it. Let's let's start with signals. Uh, Chop. Um, I know that uh, your rush favorite rush song is on this album. I, I think I know what that what that song is. So why don't you go ahead and start with uh, start with uh, signals and let's work our yeah. way through the tracks. Thank you. Uh, my favorite rush song of all time is Subdivisions. Um, for me, uh, lyrically and, and and personally and everything I've been through, it just speaks to me. That is just you know, um, Neil Peart had his his finger on the pulse of what was going on with young America and everything. And I think that's young America or young worldwide. He had his finger on the pulse. He knew what was going on. And I really, I, for me, it just, it's very emotional. It's very uh, hard hitting. That chorus is, is fantastic. And um, yeah, subdivisions. We're talking about how we are a subdivision as human beings and how we still do that to this day. And we really don't deserve to do that. We don't have to do that. But back in 82, I mean, this was still something that is, is going on and very prevalently today. And, um, yeah, it's haunting. It's, it's, I, I love it. I love everything about that song. So, I mean, there's always been clicks of popular and, and unpopular kids. You know, that's nothing new um, going back to, right. I think, since probably we started to getting ourselves into large enough groups to, that we didn't, you know, that were beyond familial, you know, yeah. but he does talk about that whole idea of the sterile suburbs and um, that, that, as he says, the restless dream of youth, you know, they, they, um, there's this contradiction for kids who are thoughtful and pensive in high school, you know, and um, they're not, they're not part of the cool, you know, clicks. Um, and as much yep. as Dreadbull and I were really popular, <laughs> no, we, we were like spending our weekends playing D and D not getting late. You know, that, that was, yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, uh, as, as the great quotes says, we're I, just I, ahead of our time. I didn't play all that D and D not learn something about bravery. So mm-hmm. you well, know? I, I think the, em- the emotiveness of it for me mm-hmm. is just the emotion with that song right. and just attached to what I've personally done for, through and maybe many others is just what draws me. That's my favorite rush song of all time. Just mm-hmm. something that I never get enough of. Mm. So dreadful. Yeah. I think this is another classic, uh, Neil Peart, uh, you know, written song, very cerebral, you know, he, he tackles social, uh, issues very well in his music. And there's always a lot of layers going on. And uh, yeah, this is about sort of conformity being, you know, the antithesis of uh, creativity, among other things. Uh, but yeah, I, I I love this song too. I think this song would have felt very at home on moving pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, Fine. you know, we'll we'll get into it. But I think the first two or three songs on this album almost feel like moving pictures leftovers in a way. <laughs> I, it makes me wonder if I couldn't find any info hmm. on it, but it makes me wonder I if got they, a great they had this. That too, okay. Hmm. Yeah. It makes me wonder if they had some leftover that didn't make that. Some, well, I think they pictures. usually do, you know, there's always like B-sides, yeah. but yeah, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. It's interesting that you say that dread. Cause I didn't, I didn't get that sense at all. Cause they weren't okay. They don't have, they lack the, the guitar, you know, they're so mm-hmm. focused on the synthesizer, but I know that was something that Getty Lee was really getting into. Um, just like their influences with reggae and all those things, they always bring them to the table and, and synthesizers, they were moving into that synth direction. Cause you know, it was the eighties. I mean, a lot of the pop bands were all synth driven and yes. they, were, they were bringing that into their, into their music, you know? Yeah. And I'd actually read that. Uh, I think it was Getty that uh, in an interview had said that they, this was a conscious effort to not what he said you know, quote, play it safe and make another moving pictures mm-hmm. album, you know, which is a shame. The moving pictures part two would have been wonderful. Uh, <laughs> I'd have been, yes. I'd have been all up for that. <laughs> I but, know uh, this was a conscious effort right. by them to, to move away from that and do, and do something different. And, you know, your, everyone's opinion on, on how that went varies, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I, 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 thought that's I, I agree. I'm sorry. I agree with Dreadbull though. I think there's a lot of leftover stuff that could have been easily a movie pictures part two. Yeah. But, particularly I thought like a little said, early. I can't wait to get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember hearing this album when I was in high school band um, 
just had just started getting into rush and there, there was a discussion amongst the drummers about this band because um there was this was like an album they had purposely set to like let's do every song in four four time you know <laughs> and and compared to like earlier rush it's it's a quote-unquote boring album in that respect like it's not adventurous you know you're not going to hear hemispheres and all these crazy time changes you know or right but um yeah, but it's a, it's a stellar album. I mean, I love subdivisions. Yeah. It's this idea about being an in, you know outcast in an you know, the all important high school years, um, mm-hmm. and it really taps into those familiar feelings of isolation and frustration, you know. Um, but uh, since we all we all love that angst in that song, but the next song, uh, Analog Kid, this is one of my favorite songs of all time for Rush, mm-hmm. um, especially on this album. It's light and bouncy. It, it, it makes me feel like summer. And like, you have these lyrics like fawn eyed girl with sun brown skin, you know, like just gorgeous imagery. Um, and I'm so grateful that I finally got to hear them play the song on the clockwork angels tour. You know, that first like hour, it was all like 80 stuff from that. These albums that I'd never heard live. Most of it was, I'd never heard live before. You know, I was like, oh, my God, I'm like hearing stuff from signals. I'm hearing stuff from grace under pressure and moving, you know, or, or power windows I'm like, oh, this is awesome. You know, and then when they played Analog Kid, I was like, oh, you know, because I just mm-hmm. there's just something about this song that I really, really love. Um, well, I think I said what it was that I love. But so well, I'll uh, go ahead, Chop. That, 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 well, thank you, Monte. That's a great point. I, I think Analog Kid, I, I wrote down the guitar riff sounds a lot like something could have come off of uh, moving pictures, Red Bird Cheddar-like. Mm. That there's like a main guitar, like it's almost like Red Bird Cheddar-like. I'm like, mm. hmm. And it goes back into what me and Dribble were talking about. It's like, is this moving pictures, leftovers? Is there thing? But leftovers, we'll take them. Um, it just, yeah, I just, I really enjoy that riff in that song. That's the thing that stands out to me, the main riff for Analog Kid. And uh, yeah. It's a fantastic tune. Great choice. Yeah, I know. I love this song too, and uh, I think I love the the time change and the really nice time change and the really emotional feel to the chorus. Mm-hmm. And this nice. song is very emotional. Uh, it's funny, Montag. You mentioned the uh, that line, the fawn-eyed girl mm-hmm. with the sun brown legs. <laughs> yeah. I found a note where uh, Neil actually wrote that that line about a girl that he met while that he was camping in Canton, Ohio with his family when he was a kid oh. and he fell in love with her. And wow. he, I guess apparently he wrote letters to her like all summer long nice. after he went wow. back home. But that's, that line was inspired by, by mm. the, the, a girl he met in Canton, <laughs> in Canton, Ohio. Yeah. Welcome fans, Ohio. In the summer of 1967. <laughs> no wonder Rush loves Ohio so much. Cleveland, Canton. My God. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, that's one awesome. Of, uh, one of Neil's early loves was well, <laughs> was met there. Wow. She was from Beach well, City. Let's go. You know what a life. You know he led, and I mean his journeys, and to uh, have anything of his writings, uh, it's, yeah, it's amazing. If you listen I to mean, his interviews, it's just I could sit there and listen to him all day. You know he's so yep. thoughtful and articulate, and uh, just like working on a higher level, but also yeah. very accessible. You know he's precise and. Yes. Uh, but yeah, just that's beautiful. I love that story. That's that's, that's awesome. great. Thanks, Drew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, chemistry. Uh, here's another lyrical success Ooh. I find. Um, where Pert plays with the idea of physical attraction in scientific terms. I mean, we've yeah. used this term like there's chemistry between us, but now he's bringing our biology. You know, um, and, and the whole thing of these clever word plays about relationships and attraction, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and you know that it's got that music, it's got that reggae in the chorus. You got that kind of upbeat, you know, and then also the, yeah. the drum fills are kind of Spartan and, and a little more of that reggae feel. Um, but uh, yeah, it's great tune. I put on my uh, list chemistry was underrated classic, and I love the melody. And I think Montag on uh, Test for Echo they played chemistry like. It's chemistry. They're playing fucking chemistry. Very well. <laughs> Could wear a wall yeah. Man, yeah. And yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's underrated song. It's underrated in the lyrics, underrated in the meaning. Um, I think it's one of the, the most underrated songs of Russia's catalog, period. Yeah, I agree. G- great song. Like, I think you summed it up pretty well. But, and, you know, another example of like Neil, he loves to write uh, lyrics that have a lot of layers to it and a lot of different meaning and stuff, you know, not only like pure chemistry, 
this was about like how when you mix chemicals, you get these real precise outcomes. You know, if you mix two chemicals, no, you know how it's going to, what result will be. But when two right. people, when two people, you know, um, connect, the outcomes are unpredictable. So there's this like, mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, he, this guy works on, you know, multiple you know, levels all at one about time. Neil was a lot of things. Sorry, what, what, what really mixes, you know, so great with Neil's lyrics, his insight on a human condition. With everything. Oh yeah, mm. I mean, he just wherever he draws from, and he what an intelligent, fantastic man and drummer that he was to to draw upon all those things. You you put it musically, and that yet you're you're sitting there even after you listen to many listens, you're like, oh, I get this now. Yeah, I got it. And well, that's, I, I think he so mentioned much. why that happened is because you know they were had the luxury of seeing the world. You know, they were traveled. Um, and then once he started riding his bike, you know, bicycle and then motorcycle, right? Uh, he got to see things at a much different pace. And, you know, just traveling the world allows you a, a larger, larger, you know, you don't have these tiny little lenses that are colored by the color of your, your national flag. You have these much right. larger pictures. You can see things and see people and struggles. And he found Riding through the Bible Belt of America, very interesting because you know every sign was you know turned to Jesus and this and that. And as someone who was uh, at least an agnostic, um, he found very, very interesting uh, an experience because you don't have that up in Canada. You know these rows and rows of signs along roads about repenting and yeah. things. So, yeah. but I think that's part of what it is. Just. You know, he, he saw the world and that changes his view. And as the albums will progress, when he writes about these larger issues, uh, if, I think it's because they've had the opportunity to see things that, that a few other people have had the chance. So he kind of brings that experience out in his lyrics in a way so that everyone can think about those things in ways that are not so myopic and self-centered, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so. And Neil just doesn't go sightseeing. You know, he doesn't right. go to, oh, there's no, the Eiffel no. Tower. I'm going to take a couple of pictures. Oh, that's neat. And then move on. You know, he's always taking in everything and the, the emotion and the feel of things. And he's always observing and, you know, mulling this stuff over. It's, this is nothing. He just doesn't just simply go see things, you know. Right. He's uh-huh. just, I don't think, I think his brain is always turning all yeah. the time. Oh, yeah. And he really liked to meet with people and talk with them and in diners and things. And he really loved it when people didn't know who he was, you know, uh, mm-hmm. that's, he could just talk as two human beings and get to know people. Mm-hmm. So he really was a people person. He just didn't like adulation from fans. You know, mm-hmm. he, he was embarrassed. Yeah, he embarrassed totally away, like, I don't want nothing yeah. to do with that. Yeah, he wasn't it, a fame person. He was just a right. person. person it, was, you know, know. He, it was embarrassing for him. And, and so, you know, uh, and that's, that's God it. Bless you, Neil. God bless yeah, you. Just, yeah. I miss you, man. Miss the professor. So mm-hmm. um, the man. next song on, on signals, we've got digital man. We have definitely have that reggae influenced rhythms. Um, I think the, the reggae stuff lifts this song from overt simplicity and familiarity. You know, mm-hmm. and Peart has a series of these like man songs, you know, digital man, new world man. And, and as we see other songs pop up on other albums that carry the same kind of theme They're they're a little bit, bleak in a way this one um and and carry the the theme of change and tradition or transition i think um and so he's it's kind of this sense of trying to find a place in this digital world that the early 80s was affording us you know this is 1982 so we didn't have social media we didn't have right you know we had the coleco quarterback and we were happy to have that <laughs> you know dreadful and i got till the got buttons were up baseball game right exactly <laughs> you know yeah. so yeah anyway on, on this song i had notes that's a very bouncy song and the, the standout bass lines for getty on it i mean he shines on the song it was just for me you know and a reggae appeal but Man, Getty had some of these, these off kilter kind of bass lines that would like, but it fit. It was like, wow, you know, I really enjoy it for that part. It was just very bouncy and a very happy song for Rush. So, yeah, I like Digital Man quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a little more synth. They're leaning into the synth sound a little more here. Even the guitars right. sound kind of ethereal, you know, or maybe not ethereal is the right word, but, a, you know, a little more echoey and synthy, I guess. Uh, but like 
like you said, with the, the, the little reggae beats and stuff in there, it makes it adds something unique and interesting and mm -hmm. takes what would be a pop, you know, normal, you know, and that's what I found. I think going through all, all this whole era of rush, it's like on the surface, you're like, okay, it's kind of very poppy and new wavy. And it's not a, it's not a genre I particularly care for, but there's always something in there that rush adds that makes it special and that makes it rush. And, and it's, there's mm -hmm. never a throwaway track, you know, right. ever just like a, yeah. okay, just throw something down for radio mm -hmm. play or something. So, right. <clears throat> I, I agree. And um, yeah, I totally agree. Even though like this signals has an album that started off and it's kind of fluctuated at times, but it's, it's a persistently good album. You know, mm -hmm. there's all the songs. I mean, <sighs> There, there are a few Rush albums that I don't, that are not regularly in my playlist that I, I kind of feel like I need to put them back in, but, but this is not, you know, they come later. Um, but yeah, this is a, this is a, this is a solid album. And um, I like the next song too, The Weapon, where, you know, politics comes into play here, where this is in a way kind of follows Witch Hunt for me. Um, well, Oh, is it the is it the fear? Is that the next one? It's part of the, part fear? Of the fear trilogy. Yes. Okay, that makes oh, sense. Which trilogy. I think I think okay. extended to part four eventually. They went into four part. But oh, um, okay. yeah, so he, here Pierce talking about what he calls the larger bowl, as he does on another song, and humanity's place in an increasingly threatening society. You know, and uh, you know, we remember when what was going on in the early eighties. I mean, the Cold War Cold was War, really yeah. was really warm, and uh, you know, threats that these these themes will play out in these albums um more so in in future albums but this was part of the backdrop i think and uh what was going on so it's it's a very relevant song then i think it's still relevant to the same kind of fears fear of the government fear of yeah. the outsider you know we all have these 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 worries you know that's so a you it's know, a smart song interesting thing about the weapon and lots of laughs i the intro, <laughs> intro music kind of reminded me of you can dance if you want to. You can, you know, <laughs> like, you know, just, mm -hmm. That's what got me right from the beginning. I'm like, why am I thinking of that song when this is freaking Rush? But mm -hmm. yeah, it did. But yeah, I mean, it was insightful and it, it was kind of like, um, yeah, warning. There's a warning out of it. And there, there is that Montag. There is that whole uh, throughout this scene, the 80s, especially. Um, uh, they're warning against different things. They're, they're, mm -hmm. There's a threatening nature about things underneath. Even though music's beautiful, and you're like, mm, look at some of those lyrics. And we'll get to the next album that is yeah. pretty dark. There's more. I that. agree with you. Yeah. When I listened to more to that one, I was like, yeah, mm -hmm. Montague mm -hmm. was right on that. So yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, the weird thing about the Fear trilogy, or if it's now four, but uh, they they're in reverse order. So part three was actually the witch hunt for moving pictures. Oh, this is part two. Oh. And then part one is from, is uh, the enemy within from grace under pressure. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Neil said he okay. did that because the concepts in each, in each song he thought were, he started with the more easily accessible <laughs> concepts. And I, I can get more into this later. I've got more notes on it, but uh, yeah, he thought the concept in witch hunt was a little easier uh, to grasp and it got a little more difficult as he went along. So he just did them in, in reverse order. Interesting. So that was kind of I weird. can't imagine witch hunt being on this album. I mean, witch hunt sounds no, like it does not. because it's on moving pictures, you know, yeah. that sonic, the, the instrumentation. Mm -hmm. I think if you had add two, you know, the keyboards come in during the chorus and they were very effective, but I think if you had done it in this era or under grace under pressure, you would have lost that crazy great guitar, you know? So yeah. that's interesting. Uh, how these, uh, these songs kind of played out. But, um, I, I, I think this album, I put in my notes, is definitely a product of its time. There's some poppy, heavy synth. It's very, mm -hmm. out of all this era, I think this is the most heavy synth-saturated album. And I think mm -hmm. it was just part of that they wanted to go in a new direction. And I think mm -hmm. Getty wanted to, you know, show his prowess yeah. and do some different things. I think there's the one that's heavier, but we'll get to that. Okay. But I agree. Okay. I mean, we're definitely in that that's why it's sent to their pressure. I mean, it, the, these albums have that, that unique, you know, that sound that kind of connects them. So, yeah. Yeah. Got any more to say about the uh, weapon there, dread? Uh, no, no, this one, other, other than like, sorry, the, uh, yeah, the lyrics and stuff that musically, the song just doesn't do much for me. I don't yeah, care. It's pretty for straightforward. It, musically. Yeah. 
Oh, there's yeah. a lot of that. The, oh, the, yeah. the music isn't as memorable. It becomes the focus becomes on the, the lyrics and, and writing these kind of contained four and five and six minute mm-hmm. songs. You know, there's not, there's not a lot of grandeur, but the songs are compact and they're, they're, they're still memorable because I can hear the weapon in my head right now. Um, and they're still competent songs. That's, that's the thing. They've yeah. moved into a really competent band, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. with, with, with yeah. self-imposed limitations on what they were doing. You know, they work really well within their self-imposed parameters. So um, I, I, the next one is new world, man. I think the music is really buoyant and upbeat, but the lyrics are more cynical. Um, here's yeah. Neil Peart's talking about this larger, larger global themes um, that are persistent. And I find this almost to be a follow-up or a sequel to Tom Sawyer in a way, because Tom has that, though his mind is not for rent to any God or government, you know, always hopeful yet discontent. That yeah. sounds a lot like the new world man. You know, he's, he's wise enough to win the world, but fool enough to lose it. You know, there's this dichotomy going on with new world man that I find it really appealing. And I think it's just, here's period. Again, the theme is resonating from album to album, you know? I thought this was a, dare uh, I say, another quiet classic on this album. Um, they played it live, obviously. It's been a stable show for many times, but you don't hear, you know, you're not hearing that on the radio. You're not hearing that. On, but I, I just thought it was a quiet classic for some reason. And I just, it, great lyrics, uh, of course. And yeah, Montag, you make a very good uh, call on that. That could be very much uh, Tom Sawyer or two. I'm really smart. I'm really smart that way. (laughs) Yeah, I know you are. Uh, But but yeah, yeah. Humble about it. I don't like to talk about my humility. Yeah. Uh, Dred, what do you got to say about? Yeah, yeah. For me, solid song. Uh, Interesting. Uh, uh, To me, this almost sounds like it could have come off permanent waves. for some reason I kept getting permanent waves vibes off of from this song. I'm not exactly sure why, you know, good point, but, um, uh, surprisingly this song hit number one in Canada and it was the highest ever, uh, song in the U S it hit 21 in the, on the top 40 charts, the highest ever song rush song in the U S which really shot kind of shocked me. How how is Tom Sawyer, not the number one song in the U S or spirit of radio. Yeah. yeah, That's crazy. um, yeah, I think huh. I think those those uh, albums got them popular, but I don't know when Signals came out, they must have been kind of riding the popularity. Yeah, I of, think uh, Moving Pictures. Yeah, Moving Pictures time. broke them through, and then they were just ready for the radio play. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. One one more interesting uh, thing about this song: this was written one day and recorded the next day. Uh, oh, they had wow. three minutes and fifty seven wow. seconds left uh, to fill up one side of the album when they were recording. So they made this song to, to exactly fill up the space they had left. <laughs> oh my God. So, yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And so yeah, they wrote it one day, recorded wow. it the next, and that was that. Okay, guys. We got to come up with a pop, a great pop song with under four minutes. Go. Yeah. Go. Okay. You, you, got, got, you got one day. Trenchant lyrics yeah. that are about global issues, but are very personal. Right. He's like, okay, guys. Uh, minutes yeah. later, right? Done. Wow. That's crazy. That, wow. Yeah, that just says something about their, you know, their abilities as musicians to yeah. just and, create and their <laughs> chemistry between them that they could trust one another to do this, and then come up with a yeah. song that not only not only a song, but song of like one of like what eight on the album. You know, no. I mean, it's yeah. it's like it. come on, we gotta we gotta fit it in. <laughs> that's awesome they wouldn't they wouldn't say ah we'll just cut it four minutes short yeah this uh, is not four minutes of just filler this is really no, a, a, song. a song that hit number one in canada you know <laughs> that's great god we should do more of that oh, gosh. It? Oh, yeah let's wow. just put them on a timer let's write an album that's you got right. like one day to write that's each right. song wow <laughs> that's crazy uh well uh, the next song is losing it. Um, I find this to be uh, really haunting and mournful, easily the most emotionally draining song since the bridge, um, yeah. you know, for Crest of Steel, the theme of loss is palpable, you know, and you can hear that ache and that anger of loss in, in the electric violin solo. Um, I think this is a beautiful song and it is supremely sad. And, uh, 
you know, heartbreaking, um, but I, I love it. And, and I'm really glad that they finally played it on the R40 tour. They never had played it live because wow. of the electric violin solo, but they got the guy mm. who played it on the album to tour with them and he got to play it. So is that the, this, that the instrument I was hearing? I was trying electric to figure violin. out what that was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And on, on the beautiful. R40, um, if you buy the CDs, um, it comes with two versions of losing it because they, they did the whole show. Then they had like a half hour left, you know, cause they wanted to pack it for the fans and they put it on a second time with from a different show because they realized that they had never played before and the fans would probably like to hear another version of it. So they <laughs> threw it on there, you know, wow. so, which I thought was great, but yeah, yeah I, I love it. It's a, it's just a bitter, bitter, sweet, uh, bitter. Well, there's no sweet to it. It's, it's just, yeah. it's just a loss, heartbreaking loss song. Mon- Montag, I'm right there with you. I put down my notes, a uh, beautiful guitar and keyboard interplay. I love the melody. And the subject matter of the song. It's just a gorgeous song. Mm-hmm. So, no. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I, that's what I, you know, I was made notes about the emotion of the song is definitely the, I think the most emotionally, you know, evocative song on the album, yeah. um, which is for this era, you know, as we go on, we'll talk about it, but uh, in uh, emotional reaction for me was, few and far between so that I, I struggled finding emotional connections to a lot of this music mm-hmm. during this era but uh, yeah this was one of the songs that did it and this yeah. was i think uh, uh neil was a real big uh hemingway fan i think mm-hmm. the lyric lyrics yeah and this song were pulled from some hemingway's uh, novels well i think yeah and also you know hemingway himself um that's why he committed suicide he he um he could not write anymore um and then that he got to the point of where he realized his powers were waning draining yeah uh waning excuse me powers were waning um and he killed himself so uh, i think that was definitely an an inspiration you know sad sad one but yeah so um all right then the last song countdown uh, I, you know, I'm going to say this, this, this might be the only kind of weak track. I'll say that in quotes. Um, I, I like some of the imagery, like, like the breath of a sleeping white dragon. I like that line. It's a fitting mm-hmm. simile for the space shuttle, you know, great lines like super science mingles with the bright stuff of dreams. Uh, that is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, but Pierre gives an un, a truly uncharacteristic cliche in excitement so thick you can cut it with a knife but but he finishes with technology high on the leading edge of life so i'm thinking okay this guy <laughs> writes one cliche line in over 100 songs i think we <laughs> can cut him some slack we can deal with that you know uh, but but that's what's great about what it shows you what's so great about his writing is the fact that we have one line that's kind of eh and it sticks out like a sore thumb mm-hmm. you know like we yeah. are so used to gems and fucking poetry from this guy. And yeah. he writes like a mediocre line that a throwaway cliche. And we're all, you know, and for me, I'm like, what, what, you know, the fact that it's so noticeable when all, most of the garbage music out there is all cliches and yeah. bullshit, you know, it's again, that's a testament to his writing, you know, that his one line stands out, you know, a line of mediocrity stands out in a sea of brilliance, you know? I put it that it was an interesting way to close the album, but that song never really grabbed me. I just, mm-hmm. out of all the other tracks, that one wasn't the last song. So, right. yeah. Yeah, same. You know, it was a little like uh, on the nose, I thought. You know, um, they were obviously inspired. They got they got to watch a, a shuttle launch, were inspired by it. But uh, yeah, not, not, not uh, Neil's. Mm-hmm finest uh, work ever but uh it's just the song itself yeah yeah it doesn't do a whole lot for me yeah uh, i'm really album before that yeah i'm like yeah fuck yeah but that that closer was just not to mm-hmm. me one of the rush's strongest closers they've had yeah i'm just really glad since he was so inspired by these great things i'm glad he wasn't inspired by mundane things you know, like, <laughs> like going to the circus and getting some cotton candy. He writes a whole song about that, you know, you know, you know, like I'm what so he had for lunch. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. On rye. yeah. Stretch it in my bed, you know, um, couple of days. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, I'm, I'm glad he was inspired by, by these, these, uh, you know, more <laughs> elevated themes. 
you know, I think it's what makes them them. Um, yep. All right. We move on to 1984's Grace Under Pressure. Um, my, my review as a whole, the keyboards are even more present here. I remember when this album came out, when I mentioned it before, we are all the you know drummers in the high school band. We're all Rush fans. And we discussed what we took as this intentionally boring 4-4 time. So I, uh, I was still getting into Rush, so I hadn't fully discovered their older catalog at this time. Um, I didn't really care for the album for a long time. A few tracks notwithstanding, but it really grew on me. Um, and then totally a product of its time, it still manages to stand out as a strong, albeit darkly personal album. And as I was listening again and reading the lyrics, that's when the darkness of this album hit me. It's like, wow, this is a truly dark album that you, it doesn't always sound dark because of the keyboards. But when you when you really start applying this, what you're hearing, it, it really does. This is a dark album that really symbolizes, I think, the, a bleak Cold War experience, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, maybe they're. I put on there maybe their darkest album ever for Rush. I mean, mm-hmm. just I went back and I, I, you know, Montag we talked earlier, but looking at the lyrical content and the the, the subject matter of it, I'm like, this is some really heavy shit. This is really mm-hmm. dark matter, and yeah. for them to transform it and to put a lot of great songs on there, it, yeah, it was just. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised with that, but I knew it was dark. And I think it's mm-hmm. uh, maybe their darkest album ever, arguably. Sure. Could be. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Another uh, more more further into the to the synth sort of feel. Uh, to me, this is their most synthy sounding, mm-hmm. electronic sounding uh, album. You know, yeah. I thought more than signals for me, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, you know, I didn't listen to this album a lot back in the day it just never grabbed me and you know this the synth era never did but going back and re-listening to it for the show with a little more critical ear i I do at least i got a better appreciation for the things that are going on underneath you know because there is still musical complexity (laughs) under there you know there are some great layering and and texturing of the guitars i mean getty's bass work is phenomenal Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Neil is mixing in a lot of like electronic drums and stuff, which is strange. Yeah, but, uh, it's it's it, it's in you know it keeps with the with what they're going after. So I appreciate it more now. It's still just not my right my vi- vibe out of Rush, but I definitely yeah. appreciate what they're doing. Like the Rush magic is still under under there. It's still in there. <laughs> you sure. gotta, I just you got to listen a little closer, and may, maybe it's mm-hmm. not quite as in your face. You know well, the musicianship. Yeah. I think like they're really subtle. indulging Getty Lee's love for keyboard because it was him driving this idea of what he could do yeah. with keyboards. And by the time a couple albums later, I guess it was causing a little bit of tension in the band, a little mm-hmm. bit. I mean, for Canadians, yep. there's a little bit of tension. <laughs> yeah. Like we have Alex, like I got to play some songs, you know, give me, you know, and yep. it, it kind of, um, I think, I think eventually when they break, when they broke out of it, they, they, uh, which we'll talk about in the next show. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I think it, right now they were just still really interested in experimenting with whatever was going on, you know? Yeah. So, but, um, well, you know, the I first, mean, I, yeah, go ahead, Chop. Oh, I'm sorry, Monte. I, I, just an early warning. I, great opening track. I love that chorus. Alex's guitar work shines here. And I just, uh, the synth actually complements guitar melody in a lot of ways, where signals was, overkill you know like when they really got into it, it was like signals were just uh it was just drenched with with sense and i think that this album does a better job in my opinion of uh complementing each other with the guitar and the mm. it's not overpowering each one of the other that's my opinion but mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I, uh, I agree more with the dread bowl and that where you, you know, it's a little, <laughs> it is heavier on the synth. Um, and maybe uh, I didn't hear it, but I, I love that. I, I just love that chorus on this and early warning. Oh, this and early warnings are great. I mean, we have cold war Gosh. sensibilities and imagery that, yeah. you know, tensions are high between Russia and the United States, you know, Reagan's president, this federal right. nuclear war was still pretty fairly high. You know, I mean, our class president, a high school class when he gave his speech to our class it was about nuclear war you know like you know talk wow. about debbie bowner you know uh so <laughs> yeah like, i mean the 80s were a, a scary time man we yeah, were before the wall came down when we yeah. were kids man that was uh yeah 
yeah, there was a a lot of fear around. Right that. on. Sure. Yeah, that's. But it's a great song. It's a great track. Um, you know, it it uh, it's it's strong in that regard. But I think this starts off the dark sensibilities of this album. I mean, there is not. There are some songs that are lighter, but it's this is a dark album. Um, yeah, and I think following the next song, After Image, you know, this reggae upbeat in the middle of the song, but it's about personal tragedy. I don't know if you had uh, knew about the lyrical content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dreadful. Right. You want to, you want to tell Dread? Yeah. It was just a friend of, of uh, Neil, uh, Robbie Whelan, who died in a car accident. Motorcycle. Uh, oh, is it a motorcycle? Okay. Yeah. Uh, it just said, yeah. The thing that I'd read just said car accident. Okay. Maybe it said automobile. Yeah. He worked at Lyft studio. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. And I think he taught Neil how to like uh, cross country ski or something too. Oh. I'd read. So they were really close. <laughs> yeah. So another, yeah. Dark song written about yeah him losing yeah. a friend. And when you hear these, you hear the stories of these songs, um, then you realize it's not just a song about some person who's you know being made up. Then you really feel this uh, sadness, you know, the personal connection is what makes the song that it lends a lot of gravitas. You know, to throw out even bigger words this uh, time with trenchant and gravitas, um, but it really does, you know, make the song heavy. And, and when you realize it's written for his friend, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it becomes a lot more meaningful. For sure. I think what got me from After Image, I got my notes, it's very reflective lyrics. But besides even knowing about this tragedy you have, and it's very reflective. Uh, I really like the running guitar melody in the song that Lifeson does. Uh, especially, you know, maybe pre, pre, uh, verse or anything like that, but it's just, yeah, it's, um, a very interesting song, but very reflective. Those lyrics I was really honed in on when I listened to them, like, oh, this is a lot heavier mm-hmm. than we thought, you know? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I get you guys there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the inter- instrumental section in this, which mm-hmm. is kind of a little, mm-hmm. little short jam session. It's just rush being really great musicians. Uh, you know that you don't get a ton of that of really just just them kind of jamming out yeah uh, and it doesn't era, sound so. sad that's the thing it's still kind of upbeat this pulse yeah. you know and then that like you said the instrumental song it's just it's there but it doesn't sound sad you know they're not they're not going out of their way to announce it they're letting the lyrics tell you that how sad it is you know yeah. uh, well red sector a Speaking of, you know, <laughs> this is a really stark song yeah. of survival. And it was inspired by Getty Lee's parents telling him about their experiences in Nazi concentration camps oh, during World God. War II. Um, wow. And uh, they were at the same camp as um, Anne Frank. Apparently her mother's mom was. So, and I think I, when I hear this music, it just kind of plods forward, this you know, bass and just kind of, it's real stark. There's not a lot of lush things going on. Everything's kind of different differently you hear the guitar and then the keyboards coming in um, until it kind of comes back into symphonic during the course. But I, I wonder if this, that, that starkness and that plotting bass, it almost sounds, if it's supposed to be that reminiscent or this idea of the relentless toil of fear, you know, it's a pulse, or maybe it's supposed to be a life pulse, a heartbeat, you know, even during mm-hmm. all this, we're still surviving. I, I don't know, but it, it's a bleak song for sure. And when you hear that story, it's like, Oh, okay. Wow you know it's amazing well i have in my notes on that one uh, i love the chorus the melody and it's a fan favorite and it's very much a live staple ever since they released it i mean they played you know the hell out of that in their live shows so mm-hmm. but yeah i get what you're saying there's there's just something there's there's a there's a haunting quality for that song um, and knowing that it's based on true stories and not just like a, he's writing some kind of a Orwellian dystopian fiction because we're so used to that with with his Pierce lyrics, you know, based on fiction like Red Barchetta or Twenty One Twelve, we're used to this kind of fantasy right. science fiction. That's what I assumed until I read this. I assumed these stories like well, when we talk, you know, well the next album borrows a song from Ray Bradbury, but when we or no this one, yeah. So next song, um, or yeah, the body electric. Yeah. So I assumed it was just a story. Um, and now it's like, Oh, okay. Now it's a much more somber, meaningful yeah. song. And it's just more terrifying now than it was. 
Absolutely. And from what I read, Neil was actually reading uh, at this time, a lot of accounts, like first person accounts also of people in different situations, particularly World War II in, in the camps wow. and these, you know, work camps and things. Uh, there was a story that he had read about um, people in a, in a work camp in World War II who would like, they were starving, you know, but they would like, were still trying to follow their religious doctrines and like they would give up like there's this small piece of bread like if they were supposed to be fasting they would still fast even though they were starving they would get like a little piece of bread every day and they would give that up to follow their to 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 stick with their religious beliefs and he thought that was really kind of beautiful in a way or poetic and it was kind of part of the thing that inspired the whole idea of grace under pressure like that was an example Mm. of 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 there being in this horrid situations people still doing things that he thought were beautiful and graceful you know as human beings okay huh well next we have the enemy within um we got this again this reggae upbeat uh they must have been really into reggae at this time i mean they started that in um the street street of radio I think you're getting that first taste of that reggae influence, but they, yeah. you know it's pretty frequently in these these albums. Um, and uh, you know, as much as Lee was getting into keyboards and synthesizers, so they they had this interesting mix. So I think that what we have here, the song focuses on trying to live life to the fullest in spite of the terrors that exist outside. Mm-hmm. We we are own we're our own worst enemy if we let fear dictate. But I think <clears> still these themes are you know, still relevant. And, and you can get this reggae upbeat, but you're thinking it's going to be happy, but, but it's uh, still a dark song. Well, thanks, Monte, because I, I, I agreed with you on that. I, I put down my notes, reggae-ish, guitar through the verses, has a catchy chorus. Uh, the synth use, though, on this song, I didn't think it was overpowering. So that's mm-hmm. what I put out. Yeah. It was so, very yeah, complimentary. That- yeah, this being the part of the so this is actually part one of the fear trilogy, you know. Uh, so basically, like witch hunt dealt with the uh, the mob rule mentality, mm-hmm. uh, and then the weapon was uh, dealt with uh, how people use fears against you as a weapon. Your your mm-hmm. fear, mm-hmm. and then this one is more about uh, a personal look at how fear affects the individual. Oh, so, okay. you know, these are all kind of, uh, yeah, looks at uh, how fear, <laughs> you know, that's amazing interacts in our yeah. world, you know, this is like yeah. a meta theme that he's working over th- three, four albums, yeah. you know, yeah, that's, that's God almighty. Oh, Neil Peart, man, how much I miss you. Uh, oh, yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. Uh, a a mm-hmm. grand meta theme, you yeah. know, to, to talk about. And, and again, we're, we're working in a four and a half minute song here, you know, and it's so succinct and precise, but still very much something that's bigger than itself. Um, and this lyrically, you know, it, it's, it's works on multiple levels. You know? Yeah. Whether you like, you know, the, the approach musically or not, there's still every bit, the musicians they ever were every bit, the lyric writers that knew, mm-hmm. you know, Neil is every bit yeah. the writer he ever was like, none of that stuff di- is diminished. I don't think at all. You know whether you like the overall sound or not. Does you know everything that Rush is is still in there? You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. Great point. Yeah, and that's why you can always listen to these albums. Yeah. No matter what, they're just good albums. Yep. You know, I'll listen to any Rush album. Put it on. You know, this is why they're they're my favorite band. Uh, it's just because they just they just speak to me at so many levels. Um, mm-hmm. um, speaking of speaking to me, the next song, Body Electric, is one of my favorite tracks on this album. I just love this uh, song. It's based on a short story by Ray Bradbury, who had the, all these songs about robots and robot laws, and he's uh, a robot on the run, like an android, and he said he's um, he's out seeking freedom for his life by changing his programming and it, it it's kind of heartbreaking you know again we have this sense of freedom but it's also heartbreaking and <clears throat> if if anyone out there is not familiar with ray bradbury he's a science fiction writer uh and his science fiction is considered soft as opposed to hard like arthur c clark or you know mm-hmm. um because it focuses on the human side of technology so allowing us to understand that even the manufactured robots can have feelings. So, and I think the music sounds robotic. You get this drum, like machine, like drum rhythms, that kind of aching guitar strumming coming in. Um, and it's a very plodding kind of mechanical feel. And I think it's supposed to be like the robot. And then the chorus, I think is just 
one of the most brilliantly sublime choruses I think I've ever heard, you know, one, zero, zero, one, zero, zero, one. It's in machine code, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, I, I just, I just love this song. I, I, I think it's very, uh, you know, you go back to, I think it's very Blade Runner-ish. You know, obviously. If I can associate a movie with a song, I'd associate this one with Blade Runner on the original. I had to laugh, though, that, you know, kind of like the funk intro bass line by Getty. That was kind of different. That was obviously out there. Catchy chorus, again. You know, that one, like you said, Montek, one, zero, zero, one, zero, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so... Yeah, very enjoyable. Yeah, just, uh, yeah. I, I just I, I pictured a Blade Runner movie in my head with this. Mm-hmm. Well, the replicants looking to to find their maker. Yeah. Well, and this yeah. this one I that line where where the robot ex- bows his head and prays to the father of all machines, mother of all machines. You know, bringing in this kind of sense of religion that robots have a religion. You know, there is a, a, a maker. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah, again, the, the complexity and that has to do with Bradbury, his take on robots. Oh, and, definitely. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Two two geniuses at work here. <laughs> Absolutely. Any thoughts so, yeah. on uh, Dreadbull? Uh, yeah, I, I don't like this song. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't. I don't like. It. I kind of, you know. I mean, great themes and writing aside, mm-hmm. those are just a given, almost. You know, mm-hmm. other than that one glaring bad lyric that he wrote back in 1980. You know, <laughs> yeah. but. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just so poppy. This like gives me these real t- strong like MTV, you know, synth pop music mm-hmm. video vibes. You know, it's just like it, it's too poppy for me. And uh, okay, my one main complaint about this whole album is Alex really fell in love with this this really tinny guitar sound that he just he just plays these chords that are real tinny and a th- sort of ethereal and mm-hmm. he there's just single strums that he does like constantly it's just constant throughout this album and it grates mm-hmm. it really grates in my ears i just don't like that sound right. if you can handle that sound but there's something about that sound that he really fell in love with here that just irks me and it's hard <laughs> it's just it's always there because it's in almost every single song on this album you know these these strum these tinny strums that he does mm-hmm. and uh i don't like them and it really mm-hmm. it really messes with me throughout the this entire album uh, that's a criticism that i've heard before and i kind of borrowed from what i heard that he talks about and more so in the next album okay. but referring to his playing is very spartan like but like these kind of trumpet players like he's being reduced to these just like little blasts, you know, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and I, I totally agree. Uh, this is a, this is why we're calling it this era. It's a synth era. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it doesn't, doesn't reverse itself uh, for a couple of years yet. Right. You know? yeah. um, so, but no, I, I agree. I didn't know you hated it, but that's, that's good to know. <laughs> it's just, there's something about that particular sound. Yeah. That really I'm playing hurts it at me. your funeral when <laughs> I'm doing your eulogy. Very, it's very uh, loud <laughs> and abrasive. And it's it's very trebly and yeah, um, it's a real yeah. Throughout this whole era, we're talking about that's right, pretty pervasive. Yeah. So, well, how do you feel about kid gloves there, drug bulls? Uh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Other than the yeah, another very poppy song. Uh, mm-hmm. Other than the really awesome guitar solo in the middle, which is really good, <laughs> right? Right. Really smoking yeah. guitar yeah. solo, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, other than that, I, I'm, I'm not not a not a fan not of that. Not a fan. One. Yeah, me neither. I was like, I was like in my notes. I'm like, meh. I like the guitar melody solo, <laughs> but kind of silly. The silly chorus as maybe well, the, one of the most silly choruses. For what I like about it is that is is the cleverness of the lyrics. It's it's a simple yet clever song that reminds us to take better and more purposeful care of ourselves and one another in a rough world. You know, this kind of theme are tight. Uh, the, or the lyrics are tight and, and terse while being poignant because I like the song, but it, it is, it, it took a while for me to, when I started looking at it um, and there's a lot of plays on words. I mean, because I think Peart is no longer writing fantasy, he's turned to wordplay and wordsmithing and, mm-hmm. and to bring all those double entendres. And, and as we'll see in other, other songs, we're going to talk about in the next album, which I find to be like a challenging for him, but I, yeah. I didn't dislike it like you two, but I, I understand why, you know, I first, like when I first heard this album, I thought it was a really corny album. I was disappointed. I'm like, yeah, yeah. But, 
but looking back, I, I, I see really, even though like with you guys, this is not my favorite era of rush. Um, it's still rush. I'll, I'll listen yep. to it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy it, you know, but uh, I, that's <laughs> interesting. Um, red lenses. We, we continue this cold war tension. I mean, pretty much out here, we, we have this cold war tension and fear. Um, they resonate with obvious references to red and blue and larger than that, the state of the world, the, the, the overhead, uh, the underfed, um, and we have this kind of astronomical references to Mars and a, a play on, on Mercury um, commentary, I think, on the bigger problem that exists in the world from politics. So, and this was the song <laughs> that my, my cousin, we, my, her husband was a big Rush fan, and he wanted to introduce her to Rush. And this was the first song she heard. And mm. she never wanted to listen to them again. Not a good representation. Of, it's not. And I tried no, to beg her to not. listen to other songs. She's like, I don't want to. That was a stupid song. Red and blue lenses. <laughs> like, I'm like, I know it's not Rush, though. You know, because no, I'm right. like wanting her to hear something from Hemispheres or, you know, from the Chew Bop. Oh, oh, the Chew Bop records. ways. You know, so yeah, I, I totally get it. Totally, totally get it. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, this is a very different rush song for me it was odd kind of spacey and uh there were more enjoyable moments off the sound but yeah yeah that's why i think about red lenses i it didn't catch me nothing about it yeah this track's a little progressive kind of you know kind of has a progressive feel but it's a weird progressive you know the tempo changes are yeah. real jarring and they feel yeah. kind of out of place on this, you know, uh, it almost sounds like a jam session mm. type song. It's almost, you know, I couldn't mm. believe that they just jammed and recorded it and threw it on the album in a way. Uh, but, um, you know, I still like the fact that they threw kind of a prog track on there, but, uh, mm -hmm. just, just not a real fan of the yeah. track sure. itself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the last song is a strong finish. Uh, this is a really, a real talk about dark, um, between the wheels and it's, really about the dangers of living in the past and how it can prevent us from living in the now. Um, and I love those minor chords that start the song with mm -hmm. those appropriately dark lyrics. And like, you know yeah. what the, how that rabbit feels going under your speeding wheels, like windshields toward a fly frozen in that fatal climb, but the wheels of time just pass you by, uh, <laughs> you know, th this is, um, and I think what Neil said, he wrote this, um, because he had realized when they were just so busy on the road playing 200 shows a year or whatever, you know, they were just so busy that when he was seeing friends, he had forgotten like, Oh my God, everyone's having their lives around me and kids are growing up. And, you know, these people are just, you know, and he wanted to just, he wasn't trying to reminisce, but he wanted to make more time to spend with these people. Now, again, this is a theme we're going to see later on too, but he just wanted to enjoy the now. And while it's nice to think about, but not to get caught in the past, um, but but don't keep being so busy that you forget to to spend time with the people around you because that's that's always going to change, and one day they're not going to be here. You know, yeah. I thought it was um, it, 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 at first, you know, revisiting the song, very plodding. I was like, oh, that synth sounds so heavy, but interesting guitar work, and I, I like the song more when uh it picks up tempo i i just I, I really enjoy it when it picks up the more you know upbeat mid-tempo pace than that original you know, meh, 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 you know so <laughs> yeah yeah for but, me that that's when it really catches me that's when it really got me so how about you yeah, uh, uh my favorite track on the album i really like this song i like that plotting beat i like the keyboard oh. that just kind of sets that plotting nice. beat mm -hmm. i really love the the little guitar riff underneath it that kind of complements it is really cool. Um, it's got a real great instrumental section. I just like the the darker vibe that this this song has, and really, although they all have dark themes, that the, the music isn't that dark. Other than this mm -hmm. track, I would say, and, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I just like the darkness of the of this whole track. Cool yeah. song. Yeah, yeah. The, to me, I I focus on the lyrics so much on these, uh, these, uh, this era, because the music is less outstanding. Mm. It's competent. It's good, <clears throat> but you're, it's, 
it's you know, more subtle. It is. It is. And it's, it's subdued in a way. So for me, I turn, I turn to the lyrics and that's where I find. And and Peart's writing also changes. They've changed his, what he writes about is changing too. Mm-hmm. So I think, I don't think you could have had these lyrics with something from hemispheres or permanent waves. You could not have had that kind of, you know, I can't imagine this epic feel to any of these songs, you know, right. as far as the kind of instrumentation that they'd had before. So I think it's just a band. They were just evolving. Um, well, and you think been, he's, yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I said they've been around for 10 years and yeah. they were putting out these great albums and they were just moving, moving along into this new era and they were just changing and growing as artists. Yeah. And it's people. I mean, Neil is just, you can, you can see the evolution in him as a person. He's becoming more, you know, introspective and more, you know, he's kind of taken in the world around him and thinking about things and life in general. And, uh, you know, it's less about fantasy <laughs> songs and right, sci-fi. You know, castles yeah. and warlocks and more about right. just personal observations. This is what happens as you get older. You exactly. Know, and, right. And uh, your, point. Your, your viewpoint changes on, on things and you start to think about different things in your life. That, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you just what's, see what's it. important and what's not. And, mm-hmm. and uh, right. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, it shows an interesting progression mm-hmm. that this is going to continue this, this stuff, this is going to continue for the rest of rush, you and know, I the just, kind of things they write, this is, this is going forward. This that, is, yeah, these are themes you know, that are going to be here for, you know, for 20 years. And I, as I think about it, it's almost like this rush as a whole, the whole career is almost like Neil's personal diary. You know, like this is a catalog of all of his deepest thoughts and feelings uh, as he went through his life, you know, on, on every everything that he ever thought about, probably. Yeah, we're in about an hour now. Okay. How about we, you want to break this up and make it two parts? I'm cool with that. I mean, I have no problem because it's. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of think we should actually. Hello, kitties. This is Montag, Master of Illusion, and you have been listening to part one of Rush Deep Dive number three. Stay tuned next week as we finish Synth Under Pressure. This is Doug Helbring, and you have been listening to Heavy Metal Horror, the best podcast that you've never heard before. <laughs>